Hello and welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your co-hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. Here I am joined with Will Harley. Hello. And we are trying a different stream, also trying different music. So it's, we get used to something and then now we've got different music and now we're, we're just excited, ready to go. Yeah, I don't even know what the music's called, but it was it was very nice. It's called Heartbeat. It was Heartbeat? Yeah, yeah this is kind of like, you know, how Jesus is the yeah. heartbeat. Heartbeat in the lifeblood mm-hmm. of yeah. the church. Yeah. It's very what good. the church is all about. Absolutely. Praise. Absolutely. We just want to say, before we begin the show, though, um, uh, we're back in the book of Revelation, so we should probably mention that. And also, um, this show is brought to you by a gift uh, from our listeners. We have two different coffees. So we have 7 a.m. coffee, and we have, I don't know what yours is. Death Wish Coffee. Death Wish Coffee. The world's strongest coffee. So our listeners... So strong, it will show up on a drug test. There you go. Our listeners listened to us, and they decided that bad coffee is not a good um, uh, supporter of the show. And so they instead decided to show their support by giving us good coffee yeah good coffee is well how every good thing begins is with every every good morning begins with a good Good cup of coffee did jesus drink coffee i i think he did i i think he 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 referenced coffee quite a bit um as he got up to go off on his own to pray with his cup of coffee (laughs) that's in the book of hesitations it was it was it was and i i do believe that he had a 13th apostle named joe (laughs) (laughs) he had a tendency to bring a cup (laughs) we should probably move on this is (laughs) this is two pastors having a good time uh, drinking good coffee and having a good conversation about the book of revelation and so in this conversation it is meant to be a conversation the beginning of a conversation and not the end and so if there is something that uh, we uh, say that you have difficulty with you. We we encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach to, out to us in person by uh, t- visiting Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley or St. John Lutheran Church in Maribel. St. John Lutheran Church in Maribel, that's where the real pastor serves. Pastor Will... Only when they visit to preach. <laughs> yeah. Will Harley is there, so you remember where there's a will, there's a way. So go to St. John and Maribel, or you can go to St. Emmanuel and Shirley... Uh, and, or you can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook presence as well. So, and on the flip side, if you like, uh, what you're, what you're hearing or what you're seeing, make sure, or, well, when you're seeing, you can like us, you can share us the video on YouTube or on Facebook, or you can also, if you're listening to us on a podcast, you can give us a good rating. Don't give us a perfect rating or a five star rating because then I would get too big of a head. Yeah, we like room for improvement, but what goes best is if you think the conversation is really good and you learn something from it, share it with someone else. Um, I could care less about ratings as, as long as, uh, what's being shared is, is being used to further God's kingdom. The algorithm likes yeah. ratings. The algorithm is a narcissist. It just I, it wants is. everything, everyone to like everything. And it is. You want to know who and- another narcissist is? I have, I have a picture here. So. So I got here this morning and this afternoon, this afternoon, because I didn't use it because it wasn't in the morning. And, and my cohort here, he was on the ball and he had a cup for me. Um, and here is the cup. And if you can see it, it is a picture of Martin Luther. And I'm not saying Martin Luther was a narcissist. Didn't, but is that how you just began this? Your... It, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> 
Speaking of narcissists, I have this cup of Martin Luther, who's not a narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) But it just reminded me he dealt in a world filled with narcissists. So um, that's that's the connection. Okay. Speaking of a narcissist, my son, who is not a narcissist, (laughs) tried coffee one time and said, uh, "This tastes like dirt." And I said, "Well, that was it was ground this morning." And there I'm just we go. Keep hitting it. And there we go. So uh, are we going off the rails yet? We, we uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> let's let's get that intro music, and we're going to jump on into uh, Revelation here. So we're in Revelation uh, four, and I think we're we're gonna try to do something monumental, and that is uh, go through three chapters, four chapters. We're gonna go four through seven, yeah. Four through seven, yes. Four through seven. So let's uh, let's see what we can do. We are we are dealing now with some of the uh, the first visions. We're gonna be dealing with some picture language. We're gonna be dealing with some hard thoughts, and um, and maybe this is where where. Uh, Everybody who has been listening, following along, are saying, I couldn't wait until we get to the nitty and gritty of, of the book of Revelation. So, so yeah, let's, uh, should we read the first 11 verses of yeah, chapter 4? Let's do it. Here we go. After these things I looked, and there was a door opened in heaven, and the voice, first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after these things. Immediately I was in spirit, and look! A throne was standing in heaven, and someone was sitting on the throne. The one who was sitting there looked like a jasper stone and a ruby. Around the throne there was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. Also around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and sitting on those thrones were twenty-four elders dressed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and crashes of thunder. In front of the thrones, seven flaming lamps were burning, which are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne were something resembling a glass sea, which was like crystal. In the middle, near the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like an ox, and the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings, and the wings were full of eyes all around and underneath. Day and night, without pause, they kept saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders bowed down before him who sits on the throne. They worshiped the one who lives forever and forever and ever, and lay down their crowns in front of his throne as they say, Worthy of you are you, O Lord our God, to receive the glory and honor and the power, for you have created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. There you go. We have this vision uh, introducing. We probably one of the uh, a comment that we we would want to just sort of give as the as the basis. If you want to know what's going on in the world today, you got to start in in heaven to understand what's going on. Right? Um, why do we do that? Because what you see in heaven is the perfect image. 
and then what happens on Earth ends up being the reflection, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and because of sin, a poor reflection. And so when we want to see what's really going to be happening, we want to see the victory that we, we truly have in, in the midst of all of the, the chaos that we see around us. Let's look to heaven and see uh, what it is that the Lord has given to us here. Uh, we have a voice that now speaks. Um, and that voice, if you go back to, to uh, Revelation 1, right, uh, that voice is Christ, we we see the, uh, Christ who calls him out, um, and and introduces himself uh, as as John sees uh, who Jesus is as he's standing among the lampstands, and so now this this is Christ uh, who is calling him again. One thing that I I and I'm going to throw it to you so you can help lead us through some other things, but there's one thing that I thought was just super profound. Um, it is the Lord who calls to us and brings us out. Um, as opposed to us doing anything. It isn't as if John's like, wow, that's a really cool picture. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to see what's going on. Um, it's the Lord who calls to him and then says, come, right? Uh, and he he went uh, as as the Lord. It reminds you of the calling of the disciples too. Um, as the Lord saw them, he said, come, follow me. Mm-hmm. That's a very good picture. And then next is the throne. And you, the throne is very descriptive. We could go all kind, down through all kinds of rabbit holes. Uh, to what does the ruby mean, and what does this mean, and what does the rainbow mean, what does the emerald mean? But finally, it just comes to the throne of the idea of, and I'm, I'm saying the word, it's a throne. It's The Lord is in charge. It's a comforting picture when you think of a vision of who is in control about what's going to happen in the future. There's somebody who is in charge. There's somebody who everything stops at him, and it, it is our our God. Well, and, and I think in, you know, the, when you, when you would translate it from the Greek, that ruby would be cerulean is, is really the, the, the idea that comes behind it. And it is, uh, it's a royalty. It is, it is something specifically associated with royalty. And I think so when you look at the, the Jasper throne and you look at, um, the emerald and you look at the, the glassy sea that's before it, the, the image that you're supposed to be taking away is not what do each of these mean, like you said. But the image is to be surpassing royalty, surpassing greatness, um, that the very best of whatever it is that you can come up with, that's him. And he's got it, and he's he's lounging on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the most beautiful thing you could come up with in the universe, and Jesus is like, oh, that, that's a good chair. Yeah, well, but, and, and I guess that brings up the second question, right? Because we are going to start in this vision. We're going to have like this interplay uh, between – uh, God the Father and and God the Son, and and so this first one where you see the throne, um, you know if you're walking through this, you're envisioning okay, Jesus has called John up, so Jesus is standing next to John, and and showing him what's going on, and so you would assume okay, the one on the throne is God the Father. Now I'm not saying you're wrong. But let me just throw this into the, the yeah. hopper and toss it around. Um, the very words of what the uh, of what those who are gathered around the throne say, right? Um, as he says, "Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and the power, for you have created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created." Now, if you focus on that last section of we're created and go back to John chapter 1, right? John chapter 1 tells us that nothing was created or existed without the Word, without Christ. And so what do we have here? You have um, this this multifaceted image. Is it Jesus, right? Is is this an image of, 
um, um, John standing next to Jesus, seeing what is happening in heaven. Um, so, so the Lord is everywhere, um, and you have his omnipresence. And he's seeing Jesus upon the throne, or is this the Father upon the throne? And Jesus has now given to him everything that God the Father had given to Jesus. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so is it is it possible that that these things are happening simultaneously? And then it's going to get even worse. So if your head is starting to throb just a little bit, wait till we get the next couple of verses. Yeah, right. That's a that's an excellent point. Um, where. Because in the next couple of verses, oh, he's actually leading me on, so I can talk about the next thing. I am. It's a twenty-four thrones around the on around uh, the, the the central throne, and so you have twelve tribes of Israel. You have the twelve disciples. Twenty-four uh, is a good number. So then John is seeing himself because he's one of the twelve disciples, and uh, that's just it, it's a picture of the the complete church, Old Testament, New Testament. New Testament church, a picture that's going to come up again and again uh, throughout the book of Revelation, this number 12 and multiplied. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that we got to be very, very careful of, um, and, and this was a warning not just for myself, but it's it's for everybody. When we, when we see the, the 24 thrones, we instantly want to say 12 tribes, right? You say 12 tribes, and then you say 12 apostles, so you have 12 individuals and then you have whole tribes for the Old Testament. And I think the reality that we have to come to is saying you have the Old Testament church, the totality of, uh, of God's covenant people, and then the New Testament church, which is also the totality of God's covenant people. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you have this mix. Um, now, yes, the highlight is the, the, the 12 sons of, of Jacob, and then you have you know the highlight of, of the 12 apostles. Um, but really, like you said, that the totality of the church coming in New Testament, Old Testament. Did we skip something? We probably did skip something. Oh, the oh no, we didn't. It they're coming up. The four living creatures. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the living creatures, but we can talk about the living creatures. Let's talk about the living creatures because I love I love this conversation. I did jump ahead and talked about um, the comment of who's the one sitting on the, the throne, throne because it, it was part of it. Um, yeah, so the four living creatures has some um, echoes in Ezekiel, where you have four creatures, but they are not the same. Uh, the four creatures in Ezekiel have four faces, and in each of the faces are of the, the four different yes. animals. Yeah, four different things. And in Ezekiel, they had four wings. Here in Revelation, they have six. So it is. There's there's actually quite a bit of controversy as to what these four living creatures historically, traditionally, the Christian Church has said these are the four apostles. Uh, I mean, the four gospel writers, uh, and they have given the the picture to Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. However, I, it's I, I guess I don't share that traditional opinion. I, I don't I, either. I tend to think of it in terms of this is God's activity in his in, in throughout the world. Yeah, that, that these are more of the depictions of the created things. Um, so you have the lion, which is, is really the, the picture of, of the beasts. Uh, he is the king of the beasts. So those things God created in the, in the wilderness. The ox, uh, which is the, the beast of burden, or you would, you could maybe replace that with the idea of the bull. 
um, those things of the herd animals that God has given, uh, domesticated. You have the, the, the flying animal seen in the most regal of them, the eagle, right? Um, and then you have that of man, who is the pinnacle of God's creation. And, and I think I have, I, I have heard that being said probably more so than the traditional view or the early church's view of these are the the gospels that these are really the the images of God's created order um being played out now the the interesting thing about it and the similarities that I think that you want to get from Ezekiel yes they have the differences of the wings but you have the similarities within the 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 beasts right <clears throat> so the faces are are similar um and so you have the still same idea of the living creation um, being seen. And that's still not even the weirdest thing about these beasts, right? Uh, the, of what they look like and how many wings that they have. Um, but the weirdest thing is that they got eyes. They got lots of eyes. <laughs> so what's that all about? What, what's the eyes all about? Do you, have you, have you done any research on that or thought about it? it it's, if it's a, a picture of God, uh, overlooking all of creative, his created order, which is, can be done through his angels and things of that, it could be a picture of God's uh, of seeing everything in creation that nothing sure. escapes his eyes. So the uh, the here's actually, and you're right, and that that falls into it. Um, when you go back to Ezekiel, and and the Lord will talk about um, the Ofnim, um, and the Ofnim um, depict the the angels who are the wheels within wheels, mm-hmm. and they have the multiple eyes so that they can see. All things, which is one of the comments that we had, um, that they're able to see everything that God has given them the ability to see, but that they're also able to go any of the directions and any of the places that God has sent them to go. Um, and so you have here uh, this beautiful image of God's messengers, God's God's angels, angelic forces, who are able to be anywhere where God has had them to go, and nothing is out of their sight. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're omniscient, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they're omnipresent. What I'm saying is that anything that God has given them the ability to see, they see. It's it's not as if you can hide from them. Um, if God has said, watch over you, they will watch over you, um, whether you're in a closed room or not. Um, so it, it, there's kind of a, a, a comfort to that. Um, probably something else that, that you get from Ezekiel, since you made that connection, is the we have a name for these angels. Cherubim. The cherubim, which should bring up into your mind... Um, these are not the cherubs with the diapers and the little bows and arrows. Um, no precious moments. No precious moments, angels here. Uh, these are scary things. Um, and if you think about it, you know, you have the cherubim that, that was sent to guard the, the, the Garden of Eden and the trees, uh, the tree of life. Um, you have the cherubim that stand over the mercy seat. Um, and, and, and they were in the temple. I think you get. Some, I think what our idea of angels. I, I hate to burst the bubble, but here it is. What our idea of angels um, in their natural state is far different and more scary than um, what we want them to be. Yeah, in their natural state, they're spirits, but in the way that they've been revealed throughout right. the Bible is what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they aren't. They they're, aren't. They're spiritual. Look is very scary, very scary. And it because uh, isn't John into... seeing him in in spirit? 
God seeing? Can you see is something John is that's invisible? In God can see things that are invisible. Well, I can't know he? that, but he says that he. You cannot have a spirit. cloaking device on God. He's in spirit. He said he was in spirit. That's it. That he says he will show him what he says. Come up, and I will show you. Right, and immediately he saw this, but he says I was in spirit. So he's seeing spiritual things. Um, so they're scary, in or out. But the wonder, the comforting thing that they're ta- is what they're saying. Uh, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is coming. Um, and then the the elders responding to that comment of the four cherubim, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, which you talked about before, but it's bared repeating again. For you have created all things. Right. You've got the angels sitting there and um, representing God's work in all of creation. And because of your your will, they existed and were created. Well, and, and I think there's just... Maybe before we go on to five, and we need to do that. Um, I think sometimes we get the misnomer of of we're in heaven and everything's going to be the continual worship and only worship, worship, worship all the time. Um, maybe a little bit from this verse two, where and and later on, um, where you see every time they said that this is what they did. It's like they're picking up their crowns and laying down their crowns. And pay. I, I don't think that's necessarily the the idea. I think it's really hearkening back to the. They began the day in worship. They end the day in worship. Um, that that day and night, right? There's this. It's it's not maybe a continual. They're repeating and repeating and repeating, but they're there. It's the sign of we begin in Christ. We're ending in Christ. There's this glory that that permeates it. Right. It is not as if God is standing up there on the throne saying, "I can't hear you. Say that again." Yeah. Or or re- put it on repeat. Yeah, I love repeat. this song. Yeah. <laughs> I like this song. <laughs> I wrote this song. Is that what you said? I wrote this song. <laughs> you know, like the kids driving in the car. Let's listen to it again. <laughs> again. <laughs> we had that in, um, we were, when we were kids, when we were riding with our parents, they always had the one tape that they always brought out for the, the family trip that we hadn't ever listened to before. And then we listened to that the entire two weeks. Yeah. And then, then that, the tape mysteriously disappeared and we never saw that tape again. That, that for happened some, with Frozen. <laughs> In, in the Harley life. household? In the Harley household. I don't know how many times my girl's like, let's listen to Frozen. <laughs> and not, not all the songs are Frozen. Just the one. <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't go. let it go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all let's right. get to five. Chapter five. So this is, we're moving on. So the uh, chapter four is a victory celebration. And chapter five is, when is this victory celebration? It answers that question. So we look at the first four verses. Oh, they're telling us to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Harley, let it go. All right, chapter one. And I saw the scroll in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, with writing on the front and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll by breaking its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I I began to weep bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I had a technical difficulty here. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb standing at the center, 
near the throne, surrounded by four living creatures and the twenty-four elders. The lamb seemed to have been slain, and he had seven horns and seven eyes. These are the seven spirits of God that have been sent into all the world. The lamb came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when the lamb took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders bowed down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls full of incense. These are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and you brought us for God with your blood, out of every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels who were around the throne and around the living creatures and the elders. The number was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands upon thousands. With a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I also heard every creature that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders bowed down and worshipped. I'll let you just to start this conversation on on five. There's a lot to say. I'm like the play by play announcer. I just right. did the play by play. Now we're ready Fine. for the color commentary. Fine. I mean, you've got um, you got some numerology packed into here. Um, the number seven. So you have um, God's uh, perfection. It's 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 the completed order of things. Um, you have the sevenfold Wait. gifts of the spirit. Um, uh, again, being played out uh, that God has sent out His Spirit, and and the Spirit resides with the Son, um, pers- uh, who who comes from the Father and the Son, right? Of course, and so um, you have these images of of Christ's baptism as the Spirit comes down upon Him. The Spirit is residing; He has all the gifts of the Spirit, um, and He gives them to His church. That's that's where they are, um, and so you have these things coming together um, in this wonderful scene of. A scroll that holds the future of the church age. And uh, just to be snarky, you'd think God would have a big enough scroll he wouldn't have to use the other side. <laughs> I mean, it's like, don't have to open it up to read some of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being snarky. Um no, we have a seal. We have a, a scroll that is sealed. Um, now, typically, when you get this idea of a sealed scroll, you're, you, um, it comes back into a, kind of the image of royalty, right? When when it, when a scroll or um, some type of a missive would go out from the king, he would seal it with his signet ring, and um, the only person who could break that would be the intended recipient. Um, if the intended recipient found that it had been broken before, there was huge calamity. Uh, in this case, you have the seal that is, is closed up by God the Father, and only, I mean, no one can break it ahead of time, only the one who is slain, um, who is worthy, who is perfect in all things, um, and has given his life for those uh, that he has won, is worthy to open it. I, I do like uh, the what you everything you've said. I think uh, when it comes to the number seven, we're going to go back and forth on that. that you know, that God's completed action, God's covenant action. Uh, which is it? Yes, you know, th- both of those fit uh, the the scene, and and we we dare not lean too much on onto a meaning of a number because if it's not given to us, sure. it's just conjecture. But it, it still the idea of God's activity 
in the world, whether it's his covenant activity, whether it's his completed activity, which is from God's perspective, when he saves the world, he doesn't do it uh, in a half I was measure. Just, yeah, half measure. It's a full measure. Everyone do exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> so donkeys and, are people too. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, the I, I like the the picture of the one who the, the one who is worthy to open the the scroll is also of the human race. That this is the the lion of Judah. This is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is the lamb. This is the uh, one who took on human flesh, who was incarnate for us and for our salvation. I, I read that somewhere. Maybe I confessed it once or twice in church on Sunday. Uh, this uh, this wonderful Jesus who is um, a human being, but also God. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's just a, a beauty in the way that it's described, um, you know, as, as John weeps because he knows, I mean, really this whole entire vision of John um, is to see what is going to happen, what is in store for the believers. And when he sees the scroll, which is, which to him is the answer, right? Um, and he can't, no one can open it and he weeps. Um, it's one of the elders, uh, and we don't know which elder. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it's one of, the, one of the people of the church, um, who stands and says, why are you weeping? We we know we have right. This is the assurance that we have, and he he gives the list, um, right? Uh, he says, "Stop weeping. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah." Um, so so you know he's not referring, and this is one of those things where where it boggles the mind because we would say, "Well, Christ is was born in time, right? He was born in time, and so he's you know he became man, but." But the way the elder speaks is, even though he was born in time, he has always been the Lion of Judah. He's always been the Root of David. He's always been um, the triumphant Lamb, right? Um, he was slain in time, but he has always been these things. Um, and so he is worthy because of that. Uh, and, and I think there's this a beauty of understanding that, that, that the God, the Christ in whom we live— is the same Christ in whom Adam and Eve lived, and the same Christ in whom Jacob lived, and the same Christ is whom David lived and and confessed, and the same one that that Isaiah lived and confessed and and and, and so we have this this carrying on of the promise, this carrying on of Christ and and who he is that has really gone from creation to when he returns, right? That that here's Christ and he is worthy. Because everything is yes in Christ. Um, and you have the promise to its fulfillment in time, to its ultimate fulfillment in heaven. And it's beautiful. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Very picturesque. Are we ready for the Wait. first of the four seals? Well, I mean, do you, is there anything else you want to say about about any of the, the awesomeness of, of their praise and the worthy is the lamb? I mean, you've got a guy, you got a lamb who's pictured as slain. You have those pictures in church, right? Although most of them have like the triumphant flag. They don't have the seven eyes and seven horns on the lamb, although that's a, a really neat picture. Um, I, just maybe one comment before we move on is is just going back and referencing um go back and just reference what is it that he did um he, as they give credit to to the lamb he says you made them to be a kingdom and priests and, and i think that is just super tremendous um 
you know, sometimes we can forget as God's people, we're not only children, we are that, um, we're, we're not only a body of Christ, we're that, but we are priests. I mean, he, 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 he places us right smack dab in the middle of the, of the recipients and participants in his service to, to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's the reminder in revelation, this is who they are and this is what they were made to be. And that's kind of a neat, we're going to see what happens to them. Um, but it's neat to remember. Um, reading through chapter five and this scene, it does seem like it is placed after Jesus has accomplished all these things. Like it's the, the, after his ascension that this is, this is the event that John is seeing. And it does kind of seem like he's, you know, fast forward of our time. That's the frustrating thing about the book of Revelation. You do know that each of these visions, it has a beginning in Jesus's ministry and the end at the end of the world. But where are we in each vision? Sometimes it skips ahead and goes back. It has the flashbacks. It's got, you know, um, um, things, uh, forecasting of the future. Um, and that for, for us, the nice thing about the book of Revelation is that it does have the bookend. So it has an, an end triumphant picture. And that tells us, okay, we're at the end of this vision. Now he's going to restart. And here, here it is in chapter five. It seems like this is, uh, this is setting the stage for the seven, for the next seven seals where this is, okay, this is what's going to happen from the time of Jesus's ascension to his coming again. Well, and I, and I think it's just a good thing to, to remind our listeners and just to say one more time, um, we're, we're, we're getting a vision of heaven. So all the time rules that you would have in creation don't apply. <laughs> so, I think if we remember that, that, that when we, when, when in, 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 in the book of Revelation, many of it, much of it is a vision of heaven. This is happening in heaven. Um, the, the gates of heaven have been opened. Um, the veil has been removed for John. And so time means nothing. So, so, because the Lord lives in the perpetual now. Um, so what happened in the past, what happens in the future, what happens right now is to God, he sees it all. And and I think having that back and forth. Chapter 5? Chapter 6? Chapter 6. Vision of the Seven Seals. You can talk about 5 again. <laughs> Let it go, Will. Let it go. First 17 verses of... Oh, it is a whole chapter of chapter 6. <clears throat> and I watched when the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals and the... I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there was a white horse, and its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And the, another horse, a fiery red one, went out. Its rider, another technical difficulty, that's not in the text. That's not in the text. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was with you, Dave. And then, okay, verse 4, another horse, a fiery one, went out. Its rider was given power to take away peace from the earth and so that the people would slaughter one another. And a great sword was given to him. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider had a scale in its hand. And I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. 
and do not dilute the oil and the wine. Having it twice now. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a pale green horse, and its rider was named Death, and the grave followed closely behind him. I'm I'm picturing in my mind the Johnny Cash song. Anyway, um, (laughs) that wasn't in the text either. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill people with the sword, with famine and death, and by the wild animals of the earth. When when the the lamb opened the fifth seal under the incense altar, I saw the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and because of the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out with a loud voice, saying, O Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge and exact justice for our loved ones from those who live on the earth? A white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until their number would be complete, when their fellow servants and their brothers would be put to death as they were. And at the sixth seal, the last judgment, and I watched when the Lamb opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when it is shaken by a strong wind. The sky was removed like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved from its place. The kings of the earth, the nobles, the military leaders, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, slave or free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they kept saying to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, who is able to stand. So, the first question, and probably the most controversial question in this chapter, is who's riding the white horse? So, we were talking to that, uh, uh, going to Revelation 19, um, is really where we're going to find the answer of who is is the wider, uh, rider uh, on the white horse. Uh, Revelation 19, 11 through 13, you find out that it is Christ. Um, different from, I think, what a lot of people would assume is, is uh, who the rider is. Um, I think a lot of people assume that this, uh, uh, the, the white horsed rider is another one of the, the plagues of the earth, right? Another one of the curses of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, we do find out that the other riders definitely are. Um, uh, there are war, there's pestilence, there's, um, um, economic unrest. Yeah. So In- inflation. Inflation. Um, and and I think the interesting thing that we should probably say is that that what makes these riders such an interesting thing is that these riders um, they encapsulate pretty much everything that we see in the world ever since Jesus' ascension. Essentially, um, these are the these are the things that have been going on and have been happening, and these are the things that will continue to happen um, until Jesus comes back again. And and the word will go out and it will conquer. The gospel will go out and it will do its work, um, whether we think so or not. Um, and there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars and there will be famines. Um, so those are the riders. Yeah, which seems to follow along what, what a certain someone said in Matthew 24, 3 to 14, that there's going to be wars. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be economic hardships. There's going to be famines. Uh, there's going to be earthquakes. 
and these will happen to believers. And so that's, I think that's a key point for us as well, because that's what gives us comfort from uh, knowing this seal is that all of these bad things that Jesus talks about is going to happen. I mean, and one of the things I, I really was, it really hit home for me as I'm, I'm looking and thinking about the four riders of the horsemen is that the only good thing is that the gospel keeps going and how often we forget that. We keep right. thinking, well, eventually we're going to reach the golden age. If, you know, enough Christians are involved in politics, if enough laws are passed, we're going to reach this golden age where then things will go really well uh, in the world because people will be following God's word. I mean, it'll be in the laws after all. And it's a reminder to us what's really important is not that our government changes or our laws change or, our, or that we reach this golden economic age. What's really important is that the gospel is spread throughout the world. Well, and and again, it comes back. Um, it's going. It's conquering, and will conquer and, and to conquer. Um, and we have that scene here is just that that beautiful picture of of the the, the gospel of our Lord conquering um, across the world. And where where does that happen? Waters of baptism, word and sacrament. Um, where where the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed, it's conquering hearts. It's it's doing what God has said it's going to do, even in the midst of everything else that's happening, um, and the release of the other riders. So let's talk about the souls under the the altar. Um, I, I think that maybe be uh, something that that people will have a hard time with, almost to the fact because they they have this vision of heaven as being a wonderful place filled with glory and grace, um, and and. They think, that was part of a song. Um, and they, they look at that and say, there's no way that there could be any suffering or, um, hardship or remembering of the bad things on earth. So how, how, explain these martyrs under the throne. I think the martyrs under the throne have an understanding of God's justice and vengeance that we do not have. We are living in the midst of, uh, that there's always forgiveness for, for you know the people that are involved in our life, but those who have, whose course has run already and they're there in heaven, uh, what what is there to wait for? Um, they've gotten well, other than the fact that their bodies, I guess, they want their bodies, and in order to get their bodies back, uh, they have to have Jesus come again and judge the world and bring His uh, vengeance on the world. So they have an understanding of God's justice that we don't have. I know I've had a conversation. You probably have had the conversation too, where members would say, I'm going to have a really tough time in heaven. If I know my loved one isn't there. And the clarification always is, is that we're in heaven. We're going to have a different worldview. It will be a worldview of one who has finished the race right now. You and I are in the race. There still is, there are still is moving parts. There's still, um, the outcome for the people in our lives could be different because that that's why we're still here. That's why God still puts us in this world so that we can influence them and, and share the, the word of God to them and share the gospel with them. So that's in flux. When we get to heaven, our work is done. Uh, work, meaning the work sure. that is done of God working through us, but the reason for our existence. So what are, what is there left to wait for but the next step, which is the, the end of all things, the resurrection the Jesus coming as event in, in well, uh, and the and I, world. I think it also includes in here this idea of of um, people who are saying over and over and over again, um, my loved ones, right? Um, the the people closest to me, and, and I think sometimes we forget um, that blood. We we say the words blood is thicker than water, and and, and I think in. 
when it comes to religion, when it comes to, to faith, water is thicker than blood. Um, the water of baptism is thicker than the blood that you may share with mom and dad, brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Um, just last week we had, uh, Jesus saying he's going to come and, and, um, five will be against each other, right? Mother will be against daughter, father against son, mother-in-law against, you know, and he goes through the list of, of people who are going to be against each other. Um, and we look at that and we say, well, that can't be, you know, my family is the greatest thing. Well, your family is those who, who believe the same. Your family is those who, who understand the gifts that God has given, um, and are using them. Um, now, does that mean that we don't love other people? Yeah, I, I think that's, that we could say that, you know, we do love them, but in heaven, are we, would we have understood fully what that means until we get there? I, I don't think so. I think understanding fully what that means is is really the the pinnacle. Um, understanding that that our family are those who are gathered with us there. Those those have been our family. They've always been our family, um, and you're not going to remember in the same way those who were not. And, and that's hard. That's a hard thing for us to um, have to contend with. I think. Yeah. So but we we'll, we'll get it in heaven. We'll understand it. Well, well, uh, you know, it's the same. It's the not same. to say that we have perfect understanding, but just the idea, of right? Well, it's the same thing when I when we in scripture and Bible studies we've talked about. You know, when you get into heaven, there's not a giving and taking in marriage. And my wife takes great offense to that because she's like, "I want to still be married to you in heaven." And I said, um, "The relationship isn't going to be the same. It's just not that we're not going to know each other. Not that we're not going to um, uh, that that we won't have those bonds and those memories and things." I said, "It's just." The marriage as we know it here isn't there, mm. and, and it's different. Um, and we look at that and we say, but I want that. And it's like, well, because those are good things in a sinful world that God gave to you. But they'll be better. <laughs> it is hard to think of your relationship with Christ being better than the relationship with your spouse. But you don't. it's just something that you have to look forward to. You have to take by faith that the, yeah. the idea of having Christ to be your husband or Christ to be your the partner and the and the and the feelings that you'll feel because you are with him like in person and seeing him face to face things that you just can't are just things we just can't even begin to understand we can understand marriage relationship we can understand those kind of partnership but can we understand the partnership that's going to be ours right. in heaven yeah right um, moving on, so you have the the sixth seal right um, and so he opens the sixth seal and uh, um, the sixth seal is is an interesting one, um, because it kind of has worldly effects, sort of sort of taking it outside of the realm of people, and now going to the rest of the created order, right? Um, so so maybe let's walk us through a little bit of the sixth seal and and its understanding. Uh, the sixth seal is the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes. Yeah. And it's not drawn out. I don't think it, I mean, it, we look at that and it looks like it's drawn out. It's just like they're trying to hide, but they can't. And so that's, that's the picture. The picture is people are, they're in a situation where they're going, we need to hide. We need to go somewhere, but they can't. There's, there's no way to do it. Yeah. It's, and it's the, here. the very lasting things that they thought could withstand it can't withstand it. Yeah. So it's not like it's going to be this long, long on process where people are looking for caves and this is going to happen for days or years or whatever. Sure. This is just a, a picture of the reality of, of people, uh, 
seeing what's what they're seeing and and going to themselves i really majorly made a huge mistake um what can i do and there is nothing you can do you can't hide anywhere you can't go anywhere the judgment day is here the judgment has already been given now it's just a time for the the massive announcement to the world right And, and i think that that um maybe to be of note is that the ending of six is really the approach of unbelievers the the approach of the believer is uh, come Lord Jesus, right? Um, the approach of the unbeliever is uh, hide because we know what's coming and it it terrifies me. Yeah, and th- that leads into chapter seven. How do the believers take this same thing? And so let's see if we can get to change the scene. And come on, come on, change the scene. It just does not like to play with you well today, does it? No, no, I had it all. You had it all working, and then I showed up. <laughs> no, it's not your fault. <laughs> you, I could easily blame all kinds of things, but I'm not going to blame anything. It's just the way it is. Chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels who stood on the four corners of the earth. They were holding back the four winds of the earth so that the wind would not blow on the earth, the sea, or any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who were given power to harm the earth and the sea. He said, Do not harm the earth, the sea, and the trees until we have placed a seal on the foreheads of God's servants. And I heard a number of those sealed, 144,000 sealed from the tribes of the people of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 who were sealed from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Isaac, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 who were sealed. After this, I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne and of the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They called out with a loud voice and said, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders spoke to me and said, These people dressed in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? And I answered them, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Because of this they are in front of the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. They will never be hungry or thirsty ever again. The sun will never beat upon them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So we got a lot going on. We have, uh, um, I think at the very beginning here, at the introduction of seven, we have the angels withholding the the ultimate calamity um, until all of those who God... Uh, have called has called are are there um and so i think you have have this wonderful note right that that's contained for us in the sense that 
the world isn't going to end until God has all of his elect um, secured with him and, and they're sealed. Um, that beautiful image, um, he's opening the seals and yet he's sealing his own. Um, but he's not sealing them from trouble and he's not sealing them from, from having to contend with the, the horsemen. He's sealing them from the ultimate calamity that, that they will be freed from. Yeah. That's the significance of the 12,000, that the Lord knows those who are his. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Um, there we have that uh, 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. 10 being the number of completeness or the number of covenant where God has made this covenant with his people or this complete number. Uh, 12 times 12, of course, is Old Testament, New Testament. Um, the church of God, this complete church of God, this covenant that God has made with his people, that he has promised to save them, and now he has brought them out. It's significant that right after you have the 144,000, you have this great multitude. Right. So that's the significance is that the 12,000 is <clears throat> to us is telling us right away that the, the number there doesn't mean a literal number. It means the Lord knows who they, who they are. They're, they're, they've been counted, and it's, a, it's, it's perfect. It's what God... Um, has accomplished and and I think I think it's a it, it bears being said. Um, you you get the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower people <clears throat> who say there's only going to be a select amount, um, and hopefully you're part of that select amount. Um, but you can't be anymore. They've it's already been it's, sealed. It's been sealed. Um, and we look at this and no, that's that's not what's being said. It's not as if when you look at this that you should be looking at, okay, I'm going to count how many people or how many exact people from the tribe of or from Israel now uh, or throughout all time. It's it's the idea, like you said, of Old Testament Christians, New Testament uh, – uh, sorry, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers all coming together and, and they form this great multitude. You know, if God, if God intentionally wanted only 144,000, he wouldn't have followed it up with – and there was a great multitude that I couldn't count. Um, I'm pretty sure God can count to 144,000. He just did. <laughs> I mean, so, so so you can see that that's picture language for the totality, that that it is such a great number um, of those that are elect, that, that he has, that, that have stood the test. Um, they have run the race. They have been clothed in white. They have been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Um, and, and they did not fall. And I think one of those things that we have to say is that this is not your choice. This is God's preserving hand. This is uh, God, again, placing the seal upon you. Which is what they confess. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And here we've got the, well, isn't the Lamb on the throne or is he not on the throne? It's like, uh, is he standing in, (laughs) standing in the center of the throne? (laughs) Yeah. Like it's a really, like one of those wide sofas. Here I am. Here I am again. Here I am. Yeah, that's uh, um, when we did a translation of this portion of the text uh, for uh, a sermon series that we were doing on the Book of Revelation. Um, I remember you you had made that comment, uh, uh, trying to throw your voice and do the echo of of the Lord Jesus being all these different places all at once, going here I am, I'm over here, and I'm over there, and I'm right there, and and I think it just brings in that that wonderful idea of. The multifaceted nature and the interplay of the Trinity, um, as we see, you know, um, if someone's going to stand up and say, well, I think that's God the Father. Okay. (laughs) 
it, it's not going to bother me. Um, and and if you say un- unless you say God the Father was slain, then I, I yeah, no, that would be a problem. That, that would be a problem. <laughs> um, I'd have a problem with that. But if you're saying you know I think the person on the throne sitting on the throne is God the Father, okay. Yeah. But the, Christ is there too. And and so uh, I, I go back to the book of Daniel and I and I go back to the vision of the thrones coming down. He doesn't say and a throne. He says and the thrones came down. Um, and I kind of think, okay, well, there's God <laughs> yeah, sitting on the thrones. Um, we can't talk about this chapter without talking about verses 14 and following when John asked the questions, who are they and where do they come from? And uh, the answer is these are the ones that have washed their robes. And in the Greek has that picture of this. These are the ones that have washed each other's robes. So it's a beautiful picture of the church doing what it does, which is forgiving their sins. Um, baptizing obviously would be a big one, but also remembering of our doing what baptism does, which, which is forgiving sins and, and, uh, uh, washing one another of our sins away with the wonderful words of, of absolution that we have. Administering the means of, of grace. grace. Um, there we go. You know, Three we talk seconds. about it. We talk about it over and over and over again. But, you know, the podcast that we have is, is real life living faith. And where does, where does real life begin? It begins, as we said in the beginning of this podcast, in heaven. Right, we we look at what the perfect reflection or perfect image is in heaven, and then we look at its reflection in 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 the world. And as we look at that thing, we we say to ourselves, um, "How is this mimicked?" Well, here's the means of grace ministry. Um, God, the, the God can do anything. Yes, I, I know you'll you'll hear people say that. Well, God can do anything. He can do anything, but in His anythingness that He can do, He chose to work in this way it's we don't have to wonder what ways god will work he chose to limit himself um and and that was a that was a unique thing to lutheranism i think um you know in 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 the idea of of quantifying who god is you have to let both stand you have to let his ability to do anything he wants stand but we also have to recognize that when god is very specific in how he will work then he is limiting himself and he will work that way. And, and, and so in Lutheranism, especially, um, we are, we're okay with standing on that and, and then having him give that to us to say, here is how I'm going to work among you. Now you do it. Um, with my grace. Let's continue. Where do they come from? And those are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Obviously, these have been used to describe only a certain point in time that the tribulation is only a, just a little uh, seven-year window in the future of time. But the the language and the context tells us that the, the great tribulation is the four, the three Three of the horses, the war, the tribulation, the... Listening the, to Pastor Harley on Sunday. Pastor <laughs> Harley on Sunday. <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, sorry, sorry, my bad. Uh, Listening to Pastor Ruda out on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so the Great Tribulation is an ongoing thing. So this is from the time of... It seems that way, doesn't the it? Early, yeah, it does. <laughs> And it's not just that I want it to be that way. It just it seems like it seems to fit everything that we've been talking about of of the the seven seals and the the terrible things that are happening and now God's people at the end of all things and at the end of it all giving uh, glory to God and John saying, well, where did these guys come from? 
And the answer is, well, they came because the gospel was being proclaimed. And as the gospel was being proclaimed and the means of grace were being administered, guess what? People were saved and they did eventually die, but then they were brought here. And that's why they got the white robes well, and they served God day and night. They got something to do awesome. until he comes again. And that's awesome. That's good stuff. It, now, the ultimate question is, does it seem like a long time to us because we live so short lives? I mean, have you ever thought about that? And, and this has nothing to do with anything other than this is the, the crazy route that my brain goes. Pre-flood, people lived really long lives. And they'd hit like 80 and you'd be like, you're still a teen. You know, perspective, right? Perspective. Can you imagine the length of time and have them say, well, that's really not that long. A hundred years, 200 years really wasn't that long. And then all of a sudden you get, you get to us and we're like 80 years. God, why haven't you come back yet? You know, this is how I've been a Christian for you know, 20 years and yeah. man, it's never been this bad and all that. Stuff. Exactly. And I wonder, you know, if, if maybe it's our misconception, you know, we, we live such short lives uh, and the scriptures highlight that, right? That our, our lives are, Pretty much like grass, you know, it's, they're here in the morning and then it's burned away in the evening. Um, we're like the flowers that, that are, are beautiful and wilt, um, and, and no one remembers. Um, and, and I think it's perspective. The fact that, that, that when Lord, when we cry out, um, our perspective is this has been a long time. And and really, it hasn't been in the grand scheme of things. Um, I mean, if you're an evolutionist, you'll you'll probably be like, it's been billions of years. You're wrong. It's not. It it's been maybe ten thousand, and that's not that long in the grand scheme of what it could be. Um, and the fact of the matter of how bad we've gotten in just that short amount of time, you don't want it <laughs> to be protracted out any longer. I, I I really don't think that that would be a good thing. Um, but yeah, coming out of this tribulation—that's what we were talking about, right? So we're coming out of the tribulation, and it seems like it's forever. Um, but really, forever, we don't even know what that's like until we get to be with our Lord. Where we will drink from springs of living water, and no more tears, no more sadness. Yeah. Because why? Because the Lamb is there. Very good. The the uh, the bride has been brought back to the home that the bride the bridegroom has purchased and put to and put in place, and now here, here we get to be with him forever. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to face hardship. I think that would be the greatest comfort. If all we had was chapters four to seven, wouldn't that be the greatest comfort? Is that, yeah, there's going to be everything that John has said up to this point is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that there's going to be all kinds of problems and, and terrible things that are happening, and there'll be, um, tribulation, uh, tribulations. It'll be the, the wars and the rumors of wars. There's going to be families broken up. Um, it's going to be a terrible thing, terrible time, but he's going to come again. Yeah. And when he comes, it'll be sudden. And when he comes, it'll be, no, there's no more time to repent after that. Um, and he will bring judgment and he'll bring justice. Finally, he'll bring justice to I the I mean, world. we could wrap up all of Revelation right now with that. We, and the way that our technical problems have been going, we just might. <laughs> but <laughs> but we are we're going to try this again next um, week. Next week, and uh, at some random time. So thank you for the one listener, the one watcher uh, who's watching, and we're going. And there'll probably... be other watchers who will have to go and split the stream. Yeah. Hopefully, I think I think what we'll do next time. Well, uh, well, let's just close the show, and then we'll have an after show. 
So uh, as we close up the show here, uh, life will be hard. All people will suffer hardship in life due to the curse of sin, as God shows his judgment to unbelievers, but he is also, as uh, he, he is preaching the gospel, having the means of grace going out throughout the world, he's reaching out all people with the gospel so that they would have real life and living faith found in Christ. <laughs>